side the road is mixed with mud when the rain is pouring down you can't hold back the flood stampede's rolling stampede's rolling stampede's rolling stampede's rolling good evening everybody and welcome back to the rock and horror podcast show i am rob nicholson your host here in studio 217 in Hopatcong, New Jersey, coming to you after a long, crazy summer that did not go exactly the way I planned, but I guess whatever does. Um, I'm so glad to be back, and I am here tonight to introduce you to Anthony Massey and Nate Reagan. Um, Anthony is the founder and president and jack-of-all-trades of Massey Media in L.A. Um, he is one of the uh, people that who are in the horror uh, fandom know him from making pretty much every documentary about every horror film series that has ever been made um, from his name was Jason to the Halloween stuff to uh, to scream still screaming um, and he is we are also joined tonight by Nate Reagan who is a um, film and live event producer he has worked with Tony on Scream Comes Home and the reason that we have him here tonight with Tony is because they are getting ready to release on Paramount Plus uh, Unknown Dimension, the story of paranormal activity. So it's another super documentary um, covering the pantheon of um, paranormal activity. So Anthony and Nate, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, me, and, me and Michael are happy to be here. <laughs> nice. It, 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 it is. Um, you, you said this to me before the show uh, that uh, it's, it's our month and that it is. It, it's, it's so close. You know, I, I hear the, the Silver Shamrock song, you know, playing in my head, you know, um, over and over and over and over again. So a Scream movie was announced. Chucky's on. T I know we did. It's like, like, I know we did last. So it was like 1996 again. <laughs> right. Like the 90s. It's crazy. Every, everything old is new again it's pretty weird but i love it i love it <laughs> now paranormal activity is is a movie that i have never allowed myself to see in a movie theater because it scares the living crap out of me um i've watched four of them on tv um i'm pretty sure four of them on tv and I've always had to do that alone. So, you know, it's one of those things where all the lights are on, extra lights are on. I put lights outside on, you know, I, I, mm -mm. <laughs> I just, it's not something I can just do uh, because it, it, it literally is the, one of the realest things that I've seen uh, movie wise, because I mean, ghosts, a lot of people over everything else. I mean, obviously serial killers are real and things like that, but ghosts, like I would think more people believe in ghosts than any of the other supernatural things that are out there. And the fact that it is found footage um, movie is, it even makes it more real. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that, I think that that really started with the last broadcast and Blair Witch and paranormal activity took it to another level. So, the fact that you guys delved in um, and and just broke down everything in this series um, is intriguing. I think the documentary is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it. Um, and that comes out on Paramount Plus in October 29th. Yeah. 
and it it's being released the same day as the new Paranormal Activity movie, correct? Yes, which is called Next of Kin. Thank so you. I think when we go into Paramount Plus, you should see both. You know, just like the homepage is probably going to be both projects. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to start with Nate. Um, I've known Tony for a long time, <laughs> 20 plus years. Yeah. Uh, Halloween uh, H2O. Yep. So why don't you, Nate, tell us how you hooked up with Tony? What brought this idea for the documentary about? Because as I understand, it was something that was a brainchild of yours that kind of, you know, you wanted to do this and boom. So go ahead. All right. Uh, so yeah, so I got, I guess, hooked up with Anthony. Two, that was a 2010. Yeah, around Scream yeah. 4 movie and still screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Scream 4 had just been announced. And, uh, you know, that's a world that I'm heavily involved in. It's my favorite, like, slasher series, horror series of all time. Um, I have a ton of stuff that was even, like, used in the movies and just all sorts of everything. And um, was in contact with a lot of people that worked on the films. And so Scream 4 basically had just been announced and all of a sudden I'm seeing these stories that there was uh, a documentary in the works on the Scream series, Scream 1 through 3. And just to, without even like reading the whole article, I was like, I have to be a part of this somehow. Somehow I have to be a part of this. They have to know what I have and what I know and who, like I have to be a part of this. Um, so I just looked for a name. The first name that popped up was Anthony Massey, Massey Media. So I'm immediately like Googling, trying to find his contact information. So I found his email <laughs> and I sent him this probably embarrassingly like long fan email of like, oh my gosh, like I've seen all your documentaries and uh, I'm the biggest Scream fan. I have to be involved in this. And I totally didn't even expect him to respond, but he responded like literally that day and more or less said, uh, every time we do one of these projects, we always wait for like that email. Like there's always, there's always somebody connected to every series. That's like, Oh, that's the guy. Okay. That's who we need to. Yes. We need to talk to you. Um, so yeah, I got a chance to be in the documentary feature a lot of my collection. Um, basically we stayed in touch ever since. Um, we ended up, you know, down the road doing still screaming together. Uh, which was the live event at the Scream House. Scream comes and then, uh, yeah, so I guess as far as how, how we got to this documentary, um, obviously I knew all the previous documentaries that he had done. Um, I kind of always was like nudging him towards like, you should do another one like about this, 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 and that. And everything was just kind of like, yeah, well, there's a lot of information about that out there, you know, like everything I'd say, well, there's not a documentary about this yet. It'd kind of be like, yeah, well, you know, there's 20 Blu-ray releases of this and they're loaded with bonus features. So it kind of like begs the question of like, what's the point? Um, so then uh, my son Channing, who was eight at the time, um, he's a big horror fan as well. And I try to introduce him to uh, new horror movies um slowly um and we got to paranormal activity i introduced him to the first one showed it to him he loved it we had a blast watching it and after it was over 
as he normally does, he started asking me questions about it. Like, huh. well, how did, they, how did they do this? How did they do that? Normally I have those answers because those answers are out there. And I just kind of was like dumbfounded. I was like, you know, I don't know. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, there's no information about these out there. There's no bonus features. There's no commentaries. There's nothing on any, I had all of them on Blu-ray. I'm looking at all six of them. Like there's no bonus features on this whole entire series. So literally that night I called Anthony on the phone and I said, did you know that there's no bonus features on any of the Paranormal Activity movies? And he said, I said, that can't be right. Like, I just was like, that's impossible. Like, how is, like, every, every series is so well documented. And so, I mean, obviously I believed him, but I, just, I guess I couldn't believe it. It was more like, are you serious? Like, not even a commentary? And there wasn't. So it sounded like a great, it sounded like, look, here's the thing. When you're making these documentaries, there's a lot of variables. Like, Halloween had two studios involved well actually three entities involved there's music there's rights there's all these different things that make it complicated with paranormal activity there's six there were six movies at the time all made by paramount uh, only a few cast and crew for each movie and there was no music and it wasn't documented there's no bonus feature so it made sense to to do it because it was like waiting to be made and i knew that if we didn't do it someone else was going to do it and that's a really big motivator for me. <laughs> now, it, it, it's it's one of those movies, obviously, a la Blair Witch, a la Last Broadcast, that um, part of that seems almost by design. Like, sure. I, I remember seeing the first movie and, and saying I, exactly what your son said, Nate. You know, how the hell did they do that? And, yeah. you know, I just, all of it together was, it was... Like, wait a second, they're filming this with a with a like a handheld camera, like a video camera. And I don't understand why, how this happened. How did that, how is this stuff moving? Oh my God, this is really real. And it, it takes you into that 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 scary place where you really don't know exactly what's going on. Because um, if you remember with Blair Witch, I'm sure both of you do, that the marketing campaign on that was so well done. And I feel it was this, it was just as well done with Paranormal Activity when Paranormal Activity was finally released to the masses. Um, because it had been out for how long beforehand? Um, when, what, when did it first, when was the first time it was ever seen? Uh, before it came to the movie theater? That was beforehand, correct? Didn't you see it, Nate? You're one of the first people. Well... I guess you know, the first time it was seen would have, would have been Scream Fest, and that was like almost what two years before it yeah, was released theatrically. My producing partner on Unknown Dimension is Rachel Bolofsky, and she runs Scream Fest. And Oren Pelly made this fifteen thousand dollar movie, and before you know, it wasn't with the studio or anything. He just made this home movie, and then looked to submit it to festivals. And Rachel was the only person. To, to accept it. It got turned down by other festivals. So that's where it first premiered and it had a, a different ending. And I think that was in 2007. And then the movie came out in 2009 um, by Paramount through a uh, campaign they had called Demand It. And it was like this, this campaign that they was like, if you wanna see paranormal activity, you have to demand it. And so they went to colleges and they had this really sort of clever campaign and that is when people started to see it. And, right. and yeah. 
it, it just like I said, you know, with the with the bonuses and the extras, it just seems it was it was almost by design. Now I don't know going going forward with the other movies if that was still by design, but it kind of feels like you know, Paranormal Activity is the type of movie that you should like be up at a cabin and just find like sitting there, yeah. <laughs> you know, on a on a blank VHS tape <laughs> um, to see what happened. Well, um, yeah, we talk about it. It's like there's no. They didn't want all the bonus features and behind the scenes, and there's no merch. Yeah, Oren didn't Oren say that in his interview that like yeah. they were kind of conscious about what well, we kind of they were always about selling it the realism. Absolutely, and, yeah. Like he said, yeah, I think he specifically said they were never trying to trick people like the way Blair Witch tried to be like, no, no, this is real, and you know these people are really disappeared, and here's missing flag. We never tried to trick him like that but he said basically that uh they were always kind of conscious about the real aspect of it is what kind of made it work and so they didn't want some big bonus features yeah like, i mean like so you know my michael myers mug you know like there's no paranormal activity merchandise really you know I mean, and what are you gonna do put katie on a mug <laughs> right or, or <laughs> ghost they call toby you know there's no toby merchandise right you know, it's interesting because if you go to a horror convention you see friday 13th and scream and halloween and all that there's nothing on paranormal activity and yet paranormal activity is one of the highest grossing horror franchises of all time it's almost a billion dollars i was just gonna say that yep very 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 little merchant uh, i don't think there is any i think there's t-shirts something like that you know that's all the stuff that's out there was like promotional stuff really right. nothing's like yeah licensed there i don't even know if you can license like there's no neca there's no neca or anything i mean i have neca everything in this room and right. i would know. totally buy like a demonic katie figure like who would yeah you know? like i i want like katie coming up to the coming up to the camera you know in that yeah. that <laughs> that burst <laughs> you can have like a like, little have a little bedroom diorama set with the bed and little katie and mika figures there you go little camera hey so, yeah. you know what there's there's another kickstarter campaign <laughs> <laughs> i i have no creative muscles like that i can't i can't do that like i this is mr me i, I couldn't make him <laughs> <laughs> um so you guys you guys well, you you came to you came to Tony Nate, correct? Yeah. With the idea, um, yeah. you guys started a um, a kick, not a Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign. I I see you roll your eyes. <laughs> Listen, I've used Kickstarter twice. We have Nate and I have both yeah. used it twice. One time it was successful, like we got our money and we did this great thing, and this time it like fell on its ass, and it was like like it three we reached like three percent of our goal. It was, it was, yeah. it, it was mind boggling because, and, and we had people saying things like, let me get this straight. The series makes, you know, $800 million and these guys have to scrounge for pennies, you know, to make it, make a documentary. And that really was the snapshot of it. No one, no one just forks out money and, and Paramount ultimately getting involved. I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but like, we can just knock on Paramount's door and say, hey, can you give us money? And then, sure, right. No, it's, it's not like that. And so we started, and, and you start different ways. These projects start different ways. Um, I thought, hey, let's do a Kickstarter or some crowdfunding you know, platform. Sure. It would work, and it didn't. And so we changed course. And what you do, every, every project, you change course. Um, 
So I just started putting money into it because I've done that before. You know, you put money into it just to kind of get it going. And then, then it, it's like a snowball. It just keeps growing and then it lands somewhere. I mean, for yeah, I, was, I was actually, I, I was kind of shocked that the, the Indiegogo didn't take off as much as, as it probably should have. And I remember reading your, your final post there um, and you were like, well, you know, that didn't work the way we <laughs> thought it was going to, but now this is what's going on. And, you know, Paramount is getting involved, which is just, you have the luck of, I don't know what, I, I was going to call oh. it the luck of the Irish, but you're Italian. So <laughs> um, it, it's, what's that? Well, let me tell you what happened. I mean, yeah. how it happened because a couple of my other documentaries, the fact that they, they make a new movie, like the, his name was Jason documentary. The fact that they were rebooting Friday the 13th, that was the reason why we, Banker Bay wanted to make the, that documentary because they even put a movie ticket in the DVD box. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like yes. go to the movie. So it justified the reason for the retro. Uh, same thing with Scream. Once they announced a, a new movie, it was like, great, we can do a Scream documentary. Um, Psycho, it was the 50th anniversary. It justifies the release. So when we, I got to be honest, when, you know, when we did the Indiegogo campaign, and it failed. I was like, you know, unless they make another paranormal activity movie, this is probably not gonna, it's gonna take a while to land. It's gonna have to find a distributor. But right in the middle of making it, they released the set, they announced that they were making a seventh movie. In fact, when we interviewed Jason Blum at that time, we said, is there gonna be another movie? And he's like, no. I mean, he's like, unless it's an incredible angle for the story, we're not gonna make it. Um, and then, of course, they did. So it was after his interview that we end up getting news that they're remaking a movie. And then once that happened, Rachel and I did everything we could to get a meeting over at Paramount. And Rachel cracked that. And we went in. Um, I laid out all my other documentaries on the table. And it was these five women. It was the first meeting I've ever been in, by the way, with six people. They were all women, which was really cool. And everybody was picking out the DVDs. And they're like, these actually sell and we're real. I'm like, yeah, like, uh, uh, this is the, this is what, ha this is what fans want now. And so that's really what happened. And after that, they were like, we want to do this. And then began the process of negotiating. And it took a good four or five months, maybe after that. Um, Cause now we were in the pandemic that was right before the pandemic. So while we were in the pandemic, we sealed the deal and edited and, and we just delivered like literally yesterday, we delivered our very last, uh element to to uh paramount so the delivery process is like a are you familiar with delivery uh yeah, yeah it's just when you're done that they have a list of things they need it took us july 1st through yesterday to deliver everything it was a nightmare but it took that long so anyway um that's really what happened it was the announcement of the seventh movie that gave paramount the incentive to work with us but now still i mean you walk into you walk into a pitch meeting and I'm not paying you lip service, but I mean, you've done every documentary that is out there pretty much for horror series. So at the end of the day, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you didn't not Crystal Lake Memories, which is I'm just stupid good. <laughs> um, but that's got to it's almost like having a having a meeting where Steven Spielberg comes in and says, okay, well, I want to do, you know, X, Y, Z. If you're the pro production company, you're sitting there going, wait a second, we can have this guy 
doing this and look at everything. I mean, your resume is just, it's huge. I mean, and I'm from what Nate said too. I mean, if, if I wanted to make a documentary on whatever in horror and even, I mean, other things, because you know, you know, the process, you know, who you need to talk to in any given series. Um, you just, you know what to do. So you're the person I'm going to reach out to. Um, did Paramount, was there any, was there any stumbling block with, with getting that done? Or was it, you walked into that pitch meeting? Studios don't just pass out money to do things like this. So normally right. you have to, you have to, and, and these are kind of unique niche projects. So I was shocked that the woman who actually left the company, but the woman who acquired it, she was the one that was telling the other four ladies that were there, we want to do this. And there was a home video person there. And I don't want to say names, but she's like, well, I don't know. Is this, is this something we want? And it was, it was the first time that I didn't have to sell the idea. I mean, who needs that? They have their own market, all horror movies, all movies have their own advertising and marketing campaigns. And we're trying to shoehorn in this other project. So it's, I think people have that impression like, oh, paranormal activity makes perfect sense, give them the money. No, you have to still fight for it. But this was the first time that Rachel and I were like looking at each other going, she's on the inside and she's trying to sell their team. And she pretty much told everybody we're doing this. So all I had to do was lay out the product. You know, there were, I, I attended a uh, distribution seminar when I first moved to LA because I was just doing 25 Years of Terror. So just getting in the business, and I'm taking seminars and all that. And I remember uh, there are still two things that I that I um, that I remember from this seminar that I still use today to help sell my projects. And you have to answer two questions when you do a project like this. Number one, why you, right? And so anyone who's listening out there who wants to like learn something about this, this is what I have to tell you. So what you just said was right. I'm the guy. Like I'm one of the guys that does these things. So laying out all my product on the table was just like, well, this, that answers that question. I've done Scream and this and that and the other thing. But then it's, what's your access? So we had just interviewed, well, actually, um, we had brought a list of people that we had already interviewed. So I slid across the table this eight and a half by 11 that had a list of 30 something names of people we had already interviewed. And I remember uh, the woman, uh, I won't say her name, but she picked it up and she goes, oh, wait a minute, you, you already interviewed these people or this is, and I said, yeah, we have them filmed. So that was my access. We had Oren, Katie, Mika, and like 30 other people from all the movies. So it, I answered those two questions. So it came down to, are we going to do this with you or aren't we? And they could have said no. And then we would have found another, uh, another way to distribute it. We had talked to a couple of companies. We talked to Shout Factory. Um, I thought Shot Factory was perfect fit for it. I met with them over I've done stuff with Shot Factory and they kind of strung us along and then said, you know, hey, yeah, we're not interested. And I was like, why? Like, are you kidding me? Um, we, there was another company, I probably should be mentioning names, but I won't. Uh, I won't continue mentioning names, but I'm glad we landed at Paramount and that they believed in us because, you know, these things are appreciated. You have to build it and then, and then you know suddenly they appreciate it but it's not easy it's not easy to get these things done everyone thinks it is but it's very hard to get people interested in a project like this and for horror fans it's a uh, i remember the first i, I want to say it was one of the first 
documentary type things that I had ever seen. And it was the the bonus disc, disc that came with a Nightmare on Elm Street box set. Um, it was called the Nightmare Encyclopedia. And it was it was such a great piece of work. And I was like, why don't they do this for everything? And then over the years, and I, I so when DVDs first came out, one of the biggest things was that we could watch audio commentary. It would feel like we were sitting there with the director or one of the stars. And I remember when that first came out, I was like, this is stupid. I don't need people talking to me when I'm trying to watch the movie. I want to watch the damn movie. Right. But, you know, for someone like all of us here that have seen a Halloween or a Scream or an, um, a Paranormal Activity 97 times, in different, you know, colors, different, you know, <laughs> different everything, aspect ratios, widescreen, you know, um, watching that with um, with someone like, for instance, Halloween, um, Gina and I watched it with John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis, and it was one of the best um, audio commentaries I had ever heard because Jamie Lee and they and John Carpenter were like going at it like right. husband and wife, like like they were sitting behind me. And it was it was a fantastic way to watch a movie. So, you know, as as time evolved, um, and it's not just horror anymore, I think it's happening with so many other things. I mean, there's there's nine million documentaries about Star Wars or Star Trek um, or any of those any of those series of movies. And people they have that thirst and that hunger for knowledge. When they see something on the screen, they want to know why it was done that way or how that special effect was done. You know, how did someone levitate above the bed? Uh, it's almost like, and, and Tony, you understand this probably more than anybody. It's almost like a magician, you know, giving out their, their secrets, um, you know, but in a good way, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I think horror movies are made up of extraordinary effects and, you know, the acting is over the, not over the top, but extra challenging in horror movies. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I have a fascination and uh, about, you know, how, how did they do this and behind the scenes and stuff like that. So for Unknown Dimension, we actually had Paramount Archives looking for like alternate footage and deleted scenes and things like that. And we do include some of it. It was really cool because, you know, they went in their vaults and dug around it. They'd be like, we've got something. And I would drive down there and I'd go pick up a DVD and run home and watch it. And it's like, oh, my God, the, this scene that they filmed, which was so amazing, is not in it. Um, you know, so I love seeing that stuff myself. So I kind of like curating it, putting it in some kind of narrative and, and then serving it up because, you know, who else is going to do it? You know, if... Um, yeah, and so Oren gave us, uh, oh my God, how many, how much was it? Like an hour or so, Nate? Of it's, Yeah, about 80 minutes, roughly. So when he was filming Paranormal Activity with Katie and Mika, you know, they were up all night, delirious, every night for like seven nights. And he was just, he had someone filming him and, and they, you know, we've got footage that no one's ever seen. And we wow. packed that first section with all this behind the scenes stuff. That is so cool. They explain how they they pull Katie out of the bed, and and you're because when you watch that scene, you're like, the movie was fifteen thousand dollars. How did they do these special effects? And he tells he sings like a bird because he tells you exactly what he did, and it's it's so simple you won't believe it. You're so you're like that's what the guy did, and he scared the shit out of you, and so it was pretty amazing. And but he forked it all over. Once we, he said, "Well, I'm not doing it until I know Paramount's on board." So I had someone from legal say, "Yes, 
or and you can give these guys your your stuff. Um, but Nate, it was it was just for you and I, like watching this. It was amazing for us. So we had fun putting it all together. And our director, our director, we have to mention Joe Bandelli. Joe is um, he's made uh, three found footage movies. He did he produced the Hell House LLC series, and so. Uh, Nate was actually cast in the third movie and I knew Joe and I said hey my friend Nate lives where you're filming and Nate showed up right and then yep. he ended up casting it and he said hey do you Anthony's looking for a director and Joe we were looking for other we were, had been talking to some people and no one was quite fitting um no one was quite gel like you need to find someone who really wants to do something like this and Joe jumped at the chance and Nate pointed him my way and uh, in very a couple days, he was our director, and Joe was great to work with. Had a solid vision, um, and I think did an incredible job with the documentary. Um, going going into this, you you just said you had thirty interviews already lined up, uh, or already done in the in the can, so to speak. Um, so that was <clears throat> you did those thirty interviews, knowing this is what you were going to do. You were going to pitch. And this is what you wanted to create this documentary no matter what. So it wasn't yeah. just like, it, it was all meant for this documentary. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we would have people ask me at the interviews, you know, where is this going to premiere? You, you know, um, like for instance, you're doing a, like, um, like I did the, I was an interviewee in the A&E Halloween documentary years and years ago, mm -hmm. you know, A&E's Halloween inside story, you know, so right. they funded, they set it up. And so when you're, you know, when you're, you're there, you know, it's for A&E. Well, it's always very awkward when you're shooting something and you don't have a distributor yet. So I ended I, I say the perfect thing. I've figured out what to say. Um, I basically say, well, we don't have distributor yet, but all my documentaries end up distributed. So, you know, and, and it just seems to be the Band-Aid that, you know, um, but once we had Paramount on board, you know, it was, like, it was like, oh, Paramount's distributing it. Oh, great. You know, they don't need details. So, right. um, but yeah. So, but we, but another thing is we, the very smart thing you do when you do one of these projects is you get the main people. So we had already emailed Oren, Katie, and Mika. Those were our first three interviews. And so invariably, when you're asking other people to be interviewed, they say, well, did Oren do an interview? And you want to be able to say yes. Right. So we did that with Wes Craven. We did that with, um, it's just kind of a thing. You get them in early. Because if you know, Oren, Katie, Mika said no, it wouldn't have worked. We would, I would have just said to me, it's a great idea, but they're not, they're not working with us. Fortunately, they did. And we got them fast. And then it was able, it was, you know, it was easier to set up everybody else. And, and for, for those listeners and watchers who don't know, um, Tony had Wes Craven in his house, or you were at Wes Craven's house? No, yeah. he was there. Do you know what it's like to have Wes knock on your door, you open the door, and it's like Wes Craven? I, <laughs> I, just I just watched New Nightmare again the other day, and I love that movie. There's a lot of people that don't like New Nightmare. Um, I, I think it's one of the best one of the best Nightmare on Elm Street, period, um, because it's so Wes. And, yeah. you know, just watching him, you know, with the back and forth uh, between, you know, Heather um, and himself, it was just, it was fantastic. And knowing that he was, he was in your presence or you were in his presence in your own, uh, your own house. I mean, well, that just. Listen to me when I tell you that I'm literally sitting in the spot where he was sitting. This oh room, I have a, a multi-floor house and this floor was like, a, I draped it in black and we used it as like a, 
it was a little studio. Mm -hmm. And so um, we had a set over here that had all the screen masks and stuff like that. And literally, he was, he was literally sitting right here. Um, yeah, he gave us three and a half hours, something like that. And we, we yeah. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. He was amazing. Yeah. Now, were you there, Nate? When that no. went, you weren't I around went. then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's sort of like, I mean, I guess that would be like meeting George Lucas or meeting Steven, Spiel, Steven Spielberg, someone that created, or John Carpenter. Um, you know, I would love, I would love to have John Carpenter sitting right here, you know, just BSing with me about everything he's done. Um, but, you know, I digress. We're not all it's Anthony really, Rossi. You know, he is the, he's a very nice, gentle person. And right. everyone, every interview I've ever seen, everyone says that, but he got angry during the interview because we asked him about the the uh, the opening to Scream 2. And, you know, the story, you know, Scream 2's opening was on the internet, you know, that night that it was like, yeah. it, it ruined the whole thing. And I remember he he got visibly angry and he looked at the camera and he's like, and, and he's talking to this guy who did it. He's like, and no one will ever see it, you little pencil dick, you know, and he's looking at the camera. And I remember the room, we were all like, oh, Wes is getting mad. Like it was, a, a weird and then like a switch he just right. flipped off you know being nice and was angry and then flipped it back on and he was nice again but you could see he was visibly angry and i i think he really wished he had filmed that opening um yeah yeah oh i mean and you know again it, when it, when it's your creation and something happens like that um you know and things that i've created things that you guys have created um when not i mean you're allowed to get angry it, it's your it, it, it's your baby it's your creation and if something is is a miss or you know gets screwed up and can you know ruin things for people obviously you're going to get mad so i mean that's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that but just the fact that you had him there just uh I, and i know we went off tangent there um was just incredible um so nate you where where were you fitting in in the interviews were you what were you doing what were you doing the interviews was was tony was it a combination of both of you um so as far as like lining up the interviews mm -hmm. that was basically what i was assigned um there was a handful of the interviewees that you know anthony handled or uh rachel handled just because it was they had much easier access and right. um so as far as like nailing down the interviews, that was mostly me with the majority of them. But like I said, there was that handful that was like, I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I'd be like, or somebody might've said no. Um, and I'd be like, Anthony, they said no. And he'd be like, okay, let me, you know, follow up. And um, we had someone from part six that was adamantly not interested uh in talking about their experience at all and I think I tried twice I think Anthony tried and then finally uh we had Joe Joe sent a very passionate email to this person basically saying you know the vision for the film and why it was important that they participated so they ended up saying yes um I was as far as physically being there I was there for Orin and Katie and Mika's interview, which we did at the house from Paranormal Activity 2. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Great. And, uh, yeah, that was that was quite an experience. The the homeowners were awesome though. They were they were great. They were great. 
there's some stories yeah it's they were great though yeah are, are those stories that we will see in the in the documentary <laughs> probably not <laughs> so, <laughs> well it's interesting because like you know uh it's interesting when you see the documentary you really won't see the locations where we shot the interview i mean so we're interviewing katie mika as orange they're actually sitting there in the house and the background for them is actually the kitchen. You know that in the scene in uh, part two where the cabinet doors blow open? Yes. Um, it's one of the great scenes. That's that's where we were filming. And so you can see the kitchen in back of them and it's really yeah. great. But you really don't, it's not filmed so that you can know that they were there. Oh, actually, Nate, the very last shot of the doc, you can probably figure that out. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, that's the thing is like when you, another thing about a documentary like this is when you are doing your, you have a vision of what it's going to look like, but then it's a very collaborative process, right? So when right. Joe comes on and now it's like, so Rachel and I had this vision and Nate and Rachel, we're all talking about it. And then we get our director and then he wants to do something else. And like, you know, you have to be like, you have to mold and, and be pliable and, and go with the flow. It's, it's, um, it's a collaborative art. So, um, so I don't know where I was going with all this, but we were actually at the house and it was really cool to have Oren. Oren is Israeli. Is that right? Is that right, Nate? Yeah. 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 So the people that own the house are also the uh, Israeli. And so they were they were talking in another language and we're kind of look at, and you know, and we're looking at each other like, what are they saying? Um, <laughs> but it was just really cool. Everyone there was like excited to be there. And Oren was like, oh, I haven't been back here in years. And Katie and Mika are hugging and like they're all reunion. It, it was just a great day. It was just a fantastic day. And we, we captured all that energy. And it's That's awesome. Documentaries. <laughs> now, so I, I mean, I have to imagine that most of the people, except for a few, um, as Nate said, uh, the one person, were probably very happy to go back and you know, talk about something that either had a big impact on their life or they were happy to be a part of. I mean, when you're talking about a, a almost billion dollar, you know, film series, it's nice to know that you're a part of it, whether you were just, um, you know, a production assistant or a director or a star. Um, it, it, it's got to be nice to know that you're a part of it. But I'm sure there are also people like Nate said, that were like, I don't want anything to do with this. It was a horrible experience on the set or whatever. Um, and I mean, those things happen. A, you know, I've been involved in projects where, where for whatever reason, something didn't go right for one person or multiple people. And, you know, I'm sure they'll never want to talk about it again. It's over, it's water under the bridge. Um, but I, it seems like you have a, a lot more on the good side than the bad side. So um, I'm intrigued about the person that, um, that, you know, didn't want to be interviewed and then ended up with a passionate email coming back to um, come do that because that's- uh, I like something that I, I want to point out is that the, there's a lot of people watch documentaries and they go, oh, this looks like so easy. Just people talking and film clips and stuff. And it's it's really difficult. And like when I told Nate and I said, listen, you know, Nate's our co-producer. And so we're like, all right, you're going to help us book all of our interviews. And I said, get ready. It's like 20 emails phone calls, a lot of following up, you have to be like professionally persistent without being annoying. And like, so whenever somebody shows up, they actually show up and they're in the chair. Like everyone's excited because they're there. And, you know, and so I can't stress that enough. You know, like in Halloween, the uh, documentary, we interviewed like 80 something people. And every time someone came in, we're like, oh my God, I can't believe, same thing that his name was Jason. It's like every hour on the hour, they were actually walking through. It's, it takes so much work 
to get, you don't just make one phone call and they're there. Right. Right. And I, you know, I mean, we've been, we've been friends for a long time, Tony. And, um, you know, I, I remember phone calls, you know, that went on for hours, it seemed like sometimes. And I just remember the excitement in your voice saying, oh my God, you're never going to believe that, you know, I talked to this person or that person or the other person. And I still remember, you know, when, when you got to meet Mustafa, um, you know, it just, oh my God, <laughs> it's like, you know, here's, here's the Jesus Christ of Halloween. Um, and, and you're like, you know, you're breaking bread with him and he, you know, I, he loved you. Um, so like me. who doesn't? Well, I don't know. People don't like me. All right. But uh, <laughs> um, I remember when I, when I interviewed for, to become webmaster of Halloween movies, uh, I walked in and, and he said, he, he asked me, he asked me, I was sitting there with Malik and yep. Malik was looking at my website uh, and I had all these leaves falling. Remember Myers Museum and all those I do. I do. And I remember Malik said, well, you look like you know what you're doing and this and that. And most of it is in the doorway. And I remember thinking like, am I in a dream? Because like, I just, it was like you said, like he's the God of, you know, horror. And I remember he asked me, he said, Tony, what's the reason why people like Halloween, like the Halloweens so much? I loved his accent. And I, you know what I said? I said, I honestly can't put my finger on it. I said, but I know how to, to, to keep them engaged. I know I'll keep them mobilized and engaged. And I think that was the right thing to say because he went, my son here knows more about the Halloweens. You'll be working mostly with him. But, um, but yeah, well, we, it's a very we, surreal experience. You know, like horror fans, I find that are, and I'm, I'm a fan. I just happen to be doing professional things, but I'm always a fan. You know, we're passionate about our art. You know, you're doing, you know, uh, the fact that you're talking to us about all of this. I mean, there's a right. small amount of people that care about this stuff. Yeah. You know, and my, our job is to serve it up, make it great. You know, and what we said to Paramount was Unknown Dimension is going to mobilize people to seek out the previous six films in the movie and you'll just re-engage fans. And I think I think when somebody really hears that, that's usually not listening to that kind of message. Like in marketing, they, they see the value in it. You know, they still have to see value in you at the end of the day. Um, you know, why, why should we pay you for this? Why should we fund this? Why should we give you time of day? And you have to, you know, you can't just say it's going to be great. You have to say it's going to bring value. Right. Um, yeah. And that's where your cachet, you know, from before helps. And I mean, you lining up those, those, the, the history of Massey Media documentary work. I mean, obviously, like we said, that, do, that does help, um, yeah. you know, and, um, but Going so, your interview process starts. You you have thirty going in. How many interviews did you do for the doc? It's just under forty. I mean, okay. Paramount almost completed because our what I was going to prepare to say to them was, well, we're still going to make this. You know, we mm -hmm. could still have made Unknown Dimension without Paramount. It's just a little more challenging, and you know, it, it made so much easier when they came on board, but our position was you well you can't stop us from making this um that's that's the truth i mean we I have a, we have rights nate and i have rights as filmmakers you know you can't you you don't need someone's permission to do anything um right. but you you can it makes things more challenging like how would we be able to use footage if paramount's not on board um you know things like so, that you can still do it so is 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 that really where i mean that's where they do most of that heavy lifting in other words, you can now use 
obviously, because it's on their it's on their streaming service. <laughs> you can pretty much use they opened up the vaults, as you said. So oh, you know, they opened up the vaults, but like you still have it's it's and nothing's easy. Just letting you know, it's nothing easy. And when we did Halloween, so you know, like with Halloween, same thing. Like, well, now we can use copious amounts of footage from all the Halloween. No, you just it doesn't work that way. But but it does make things a lot easier. Uh, we certainly couldn't have used, couldn't have dug for behind the scene. All you could probably do if we weren't working officially with Paramount was talk about those scenes, but not show any footage because they're not going to go digging through the vaults for someone they're not officially working for, probably. So so that that helped. Um, yeah, it just it opens the door and makes things easier. Is what it is what we, it does. We, we've and, come a we've come a long way from the Myers Museum VHS tapes. Um, <laughs> some yeah, VHS tapes. <laughs> some of them I'm still I still have I think I still have my original P cut. I've got so, the whole set. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, oh. you have to you have to put pictures of those up one day. I more and more of the Myers Museum is missing from uh, the Wayback Machine. It seems like it's falling off. Oh. Um, yeah. So I, I went back in there and I saved my novel and, you know, the, the little pieces that were up there. I saved all the reviews, especially the one where he says, uh, the guy says, uh, I love Robert's writing. He takes my breath away. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, that was back in the, I mean, that was the early, not the early days of the internet, but it was still relatively early. I remember you studying HTML, you know, in, in the apartment in Lake Hiawatha. <laughs> back then, I had the sense to create a Halloween website, like, right away. And it wasn't to work in the business. I just wanted to highlight, like, my photos and my collection. When you build a website, you have to have content. So my content was, well, hell, I'll just throw my Halloween collection up there. But if I if I wanted to do that now, nobody would care. <laughs> you know, like I just happened to get like timing is, is one thing I've learned in yep. this business too. Like the, the, the website was timed not purposely, but it was timed wonderfully, just happened to be timed that way. And then I got hired by the Akkads because of my website. And then I was doing a convention. And so then I got I became a producer that way. So there were a lot of things that clicked clicked for me that have served me very well um, in my career. So, so Nate, Nate, what is your, what's your origin story? Where do you come from? I know Tony. I mean, to, 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 I, I, could, to, I could almost tell you as much about Tony as he probably can about himself, but <laughs> it all goes back to a cat, some grenadine and some Coke. <laughs> not, not Coke, not, not Coke, not blow, but Coke. <laughs> Oh, so cherry Coke. Cherry Coke. Do you have grenadine? Do you have Coke? Oh, we miss you, Jonathan. We miss you a lot. We love you, Jonathan. So go ahead, Nate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from Pennsylvania. I still live here. Um, just kind of grew up, you know, like imagining everybody else here uh, on this podcast that uh, you know love horror. Just kind of got into it at a very early age um stuck with me it was pretty much my main passion um scream was really the one that you know was the one i latched on the most to i mean obviously i was a huge fan of everything else like friday the 13th and halloween all those of course um and all the obscure stuff but when i saw scream for the first time it just kind of was like felt it felt more real it felt like you could identify with the characters 
it was the first time I saw a slasher movie that seemed to exist where the characters were aware of what a slasher movie was, you know, um, and they're talking about these movies. Um, so I just kind of, that was like my main passion was horror and the Scream series. And yeah, basically I always wanted to do something with film, but I wasn't ever really sure what, like I, you know, like every young person, it was like, do I want to be an actor? Do I want to be a director? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Um, never really thought about producing because I guess I didn't really understand what exactly a producer did. Um, I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned I learned very quickly that a producer does pretty much everything at some point, uh, which is what makes producing fun, which I learned from Anthony. And he was the one that at some point, I, I can't even tell you when, but I just know at some point I just... I said something in one of our many conversations and he was like, you're talking and thinking like a producer now. And I was like, I am. And he's like, yes. And I was like, okay, maybe that's what I want to be. <laughs> See, when, when, when Gina and I started Dockside um, and, you know, we got waylaid by the, the COVID pandemic, which is still going on. Um, but when we started, I, I made it very clear. I want to create, I don't want to, I don't want any part of the the business side of things. I mean, I, I'm sure I'll be involved at some point with, with that, just because my name is attached to everything. But I mean, and, and Tony probably knows this as well as anyone. I love to create things. Um, I love to write. Um, I love to act, but I mean, writing and creating is really my passion. So, but when it came, uh, when it came time that, you know, Gina and I decided that we wanted to start something, it was very important to me that we you know, divest those two things. So we both understand where we are, where she'll still have, you know, creative control, um, you know, with, with me, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to know about money. I don't want to know about that kind of, it just, I, that has no interest to me. Let me create, let me make art. Um, and I'll get involved where I have to. And I have people, you know, we both have people that we can lean on, um, both in the, in the, in the different industries, whether it be theater, whether it be film, um, we, we know people that we can reach out to and say, hey, listen, we're having a problem with this. Um, or, you know, we, we need to do X, Y, or Z. And it, it makes it even stranger for me because, you know, not only am I now the co-owner of a, you know, of a, of a production company, but I'm also the creator. So, you know, in, in trying to navigate and i've i've been reading i've been you know talking to different people lawyers too you know like what what do i do as the owner about something that i created and and made and wrote and i i still want to retain the rights to it i don't want to sell the rights you know to myself i don't you know i didn't know how any of that worked and i've learned a lot um and and i'll i'll kick i'll, I'll kick back to your producerville podcast which is now inactive <laughs> but uh there I'm going to turn Gene on to that as well, because I went back and I listened to it and I was like, Oh my God, I said, this is, this is like really, really interesting. And you know, it, it, it's great information. Um, and that for those who don't know, um, go ahead and go into any, any one of your favorite podcasting platforms um, where you listen to this or whatever uh, and look up producerville it's Nate and Anthony and um, you'll get some, you'll get some great insights. Uh, I still don't know what a producer does. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell, a producer is the, they're the visionary of the project and they navigate the ship. They 
They, they're the people responsible for the vision um, or bring, and they oversee it. So like my job as a producer was to find a team and then uh, to, to realize the vision. And so Joe was, you know, a, a very important key because he was our director. So once, you know, I, I like talked to him and knew that he could deliver the vision that we had in mind. I mean, you know, we're, we're creating something I think is a little obvious, you know, it's like, we're going to tell the story of all the six movies. And it's kind of been a thing that's been done enough to know what the vision is. Um, but, you know, that's really what a, a producer does, but then there's the business side. And so you really do need to know business. Like we, I couldn't have gone into Paramount and said, yeah, we're going to do this for you, but don't talk to me about numbers. You know, they have to, you have to negotiate and then you get contracts and then you have to go through the deliverables and you have to know what the deliverables are and you have to know what you're, what you're committing to. So it's a scary process. I mean, I've done all kinds of deliverables and all kinds of deals and some of them are easy and some of them are hard and some of them are with tiny companies, some of them are big companies and, but you do need to know business to, to, to be a producer. Um, the producers are, producers typically don't have agents. You know, so writers, directors, actors, all those people have agents, producers typically don't because they're the ones that deal with all the agents and actors and writers and stuff like that. So you're kind of the driving force of the project and you're the most responsible person on the project. You're the, usually the one that writes the checks. I'm still writing checks for Unknown Dimension. Um, you're the person that solves the problems. You know, an editor edits, it's all they do. Producer oversees the editing, oversees this. Right. Over that and so you're the problem solver and you, you wear lots of hats so that's, we don't just put jelly beans on the craft service table which a lot of people say like is that what they do because typically when your producer shows up on set they sit in a chair in the back and, and you know but that by that point they've done all their work you know they've we when we did our interviews and and we did most of our interviews in Burbank in a little studio we had to scout that location and book it and and all that and so we, we find locations and we write up the release forms and all that stuff. So that's what I think. Maybe maybe people just get confused between, you know, like when they're watching a sitcom or whatever. And in the final seasons of the show, everybody is a damn executive producer, um, you know, because it, it, they just that's exactly what happens. And for instance, in a in a in a, a movie that I just did with um, with Ryan Calloway for Shady Dawn Pictures, um, <clears throat> we were scouting a location, and the the only thing the guy wanted in order to use his house, instead of giving him money, he wanted an executive producer credit. And I was like, well, that's really easy. <laughs> I said, you know, and, and Ryan was all on board with that. And I was like, okay, so maybe an executive producer doesn't do as much as I thought they did. Well, the, well, listen, the, two different, very different things. An EP and a producer are very different things in television and in movies. So mm -hmm. they're very, di very different things. There's all okay. And so, yeah, they all, and sometimes an executive producer, they fund the entire movie. That's a big thing. Sometimes right. they get a credit because you're able to shoot in their house all night long. And so, right. but the producer uh, um, is usually the day-to-day, -day, and we're talking about like a movie, like Unknown Dimension. The producer is the day-to-day -day person that's responsible. I don't think, do we even have an executive producer on the project, Nate? I don't think we do. I don't think. Yeah. Um, and, and so that that's still odd because now are you so who is the who is the producer of Unknown Dimension or me do you, and, are you yeah I'm sorry me and Rachel Belowski we're the okay right. okay so you're, you you co-producer you both have 
whatever whatever that title would be. Yeah, um, Nate, is our, Nate is our co-producer. Okay. Which so is producer. that supports the producer. So okay. it's like, Nate, do this. Nate, do that. Nate, do this. Nate, do that. And he, and he supports the role of the producer, pretty much. And plus, it, you know, was Channing his son's idea. So, and it was like, well, you know, right there, like, you know, if Channing hadn't asked you, Nate, I don't think we would have made this. You know, yeah. we have a t-shirt that says big time Hollywood producer on it. You know, because it's like, you know, it really was his idea. Like he didn't make it, but it was his idea. And it was it was kind of cool to kind of, I, I like that. I like that it was like a, the brainchild of an eight-year-old. <laughs> you know, like that yeah. thing. I, I just love that. <laughs> and that, that yeah, that, that's, that's kind of awesome. And it's one of those things where it, until it comes out, you don't even realize that you either needed it or wanted it. And then you look at it and you're like, holy crap, where has that been for the past, you know, how long has paranormal activity been around? Um, You know, you just, you didn't even know. You didn't even know you needed it. I mean, it's easy to say. And I mean, paranormal activity is sort of going there because um, just of the longevity of it, it it does start to fall into a Halloween or a Friday the 13th or a scream type, you know, it's going to have that legacy. And obviously, if something's going to get a documentary made about it, it has a legacy. Um, for me, the legacy is scaring the hell out of me, probably more than anything but The Conjuring, which I still won't watch. Um, have not watched any of them. Um, I, I lie and I say that I won't ever watch it because I know I will. Um, but yeah, dolls, yeah, there's there are certain things that just creep the hell out of me. But, you know, uh, dolls... I, I can get through paranormal activity because I find it fascinating. I find ghosts fascinating. Uh, in one of the paranormal activity movies, there's a Teddy Ruxpin doll that starts, you know, communicating. Yeah. You know, in, in the first movie, it's a Ouija board, right? And then by the time they get to, was it part three that is a Teddy Ruxpin or is that four? Uh, three. three. Yeah. And then you get yep. to part five and it's like there's a Simon game or that old Simon game. And like, you know, and, and you know, the movie's kind of, embraced a little technology and moved on a little bit but you can't escape creepy dolls rob in horror movies no. it's, but see child's play i love i oh. love child's play there's your next documentary child's play um and i i actually just saw um i saw a clip um and i think we're all progressive in this room uh but i saw a clip of um chucky i guess saying that he had a transgender son in the new in the new uh the new movie or the new uh tv series and uh, he goes, well, how does that make you feel? He goes, I'm okay with it. I'm not a monster. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, it's amazing. Um, but Chucky doesn't scare me. Chucky never scared me. There was nothing right. ever even from the original Child's Play. It was a fun movie. Scream never scared me. Um, I just felt like I was, I, I could watch those characters, and they were like my friends. You know, they were like people that I went to school with or went to campgrounds in the middle of the night, you know, um, with that. That's who those people felt like. So even that movie at its at its core, it was just such a fun movie. It wasn't I don't know. It wasn't like terrifyingly scary to me. There were a lot of jump scares, um, you know, but paranormal activity. Oh, my God. I don't know anybody that's seen the movie and not been like, yeah, I might have peed a little bit. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those movies that does that to you. So <laughs> uh, it, unbelievable. I cannot wait to hear the stories from the set and all the interviews 
um, it, it sounds like it's going to be uh, a ripper on good time. Now, being that it is on a streaming service, was it cut down in time? No, we, uh, no. Um, what was great was being on a streaming service is we didn't really have a time constraint. Okay. They, you know, like it could be any length we wanted. Um, up to, I think they said it couldn't be longer than two hours and not shorter than 90 minutes. And I think that was just kind of like, that was just what they built in. Um, okay. Contract. But we, we feel like we told the story enough. I mean, it, you know, like there are four hour documentaries and stuff like that, but we told a, a com very complete story. Um, I feel like the length is totally appropriate for it. Um, you mentioned stories on set. I could tell you two story behind the scenes stories that our crew dealt with. Ooh, please. Well, there was one when Rachel and I were at Paramount pitching the documentary. There, as I said, there were five women there, and one of them was from uh, the home video. I think uh, when we got back home, this woman had emailed us and said, "Right when you guys left," and she was. We all went back to our offices, and she's like, "I went into my office, and my Paranormal Activity, I think two poster, had fallen off the wall and shattered the frame and everything had just." All of a sudden, fall. she walked into her office, it fell and it shattered. And she's like, this was a poster that was bolted to my wall. And um, oh we were my like, God. oh my God, it's ghosts, it's crazy. And, and I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? Like, what the fuck? Um, another story we had was uh, we rented this little uh, black box theater to shoot some of these interviews at, in Burbank. And we showed up one day, we had rented it for maybe 20 days, like all we rented it when we needed it. And then one time we walked in and there was this fly infestation, just flies everywhere. I, I don't understand. I've never seen this. I've rented tons of places. And so me and Rachel and Joe, I think I, I have a video of Joe, like literally taking a book and like swatting them in midair because we had some in and Joe was like whacking people and I said all right I'm gonna leave so I wrote I go down the street I get in my car and I zip down to the sporting goods store and I run in there like like you know Bette Midler in that that Beverly Hills movie where she's like call 911 call. and I run in there and I'm like where's your bug spray where's your bug spray and they sold me bug spray and I go running back and I go running in and I'm spraying and Rachel swatting and like there was this awful fly infestation and so we have a couple of interviewees that came in that day who we had to stop the interview because you'd see flies coming in. And, and I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I was like, this hey, is that, professional. That's right, so some Amityville horror level shit right there. Like, <laughs> Rod <laughs> Steiger. Totally. The woman who rented us the place, I called her and I said, you need to do something. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, we don't have flies. And I'm like, they're dead on the floor. Like, come on down. And she did. And she came on down and she's looking around going, and she's with her boyfriend. I remember they're looking at it going, what the fuck is going on? So what happened was, well, very quickly, somebody else had rented it the next day. And I said, well, you better fix it for your, this next group. She, she said, and then I had rented it the next day. So we had a fly infestation like on a Monday. She rented it out to someone else for like this little barbecue. And then we were coming back in. The barbecue people had no flies. And you have to understand this is food, like whatever, no flies. We come back the next day and they had flies again. So whenever we showed up or in this week and we had flies and, and we couldn't explain it, but it, it just, you know, well, there was a woman we had interviewed who had said that she felt like this presence had followed her home. And, and, you know, it's, you know, 
I'm not really a believer. I should say that, but these things make me question. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Well, I mean, when when we and so I I, I don't know if if Nate knows the story. He probably doesn't. But uh, when when Tony and you know uh, friends, we we started doing these things during the Halloween H two O party planning, and we ended up out in Amityville. And um, it, I don't know I don't know if it was you or or jonathan it was probably jonathan was gonna pick up something off the like the lawn it was it was only like a stick or something and i'm like you're not bringing that in the car we're not bringing there's nothing from amityville house that is coming anywhere near you know me i actually went up and knocked on the door and said that we were what what did i say college students all right let me just briefly tell this story Because I will tell it correctly, because I was horrified. <laughs> Rob said, I'm going to knock on the door. And I said, no, you're fucking not going to knock on the door. A person, we saw someone walking in there. Rob walks up to the door and knocks on it. The guy opens it and Rob says the wrong thing. He says, we're not going to hurt you. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did say that. I did say, I, maybe it was we agreed. I was like, Rob, you're running. I was like, why would you say, I'm not going to hurt you? Why would you say maybe- Maybe it was because, and what's funny is like, I'm an actor now. I could probably do much better than I did, <laughs> but didn't we decide that we were going to be college yeah. people or something like that? You Wait, you said it though, like with a smile, you didn't say it threatening. I remember you were very much like, no, listen, we're not going to hurt you. You said it nicely, <laughs> but could you imagine living there and being like, this guy's going to hurt me. It's, he just like slammed the door. <laughs> and I was like, and it was, it was a younger kid. It was like it wasn't like a little boy, but it was like a like a, a teenager, maybe maybe even college age. And we went to the worst McDonald's on the planet ever. They had a teepee outside. It was I, I remember so much about that day, and it's such a long drive. There's no easy way to get to anywhere in Long Island. <laughs> no easy way. Exactly. <laughs> oh, old times, old times. But yeah, I, I I do believe that that stuff follows you around. Um, so, you know, I mean, hey, you know, I'm sure there's a, there's something to that. I mean, you know, you can't, you know, people will tell you that you can't like make, make the movies about things like the occult and, you know, Ouija boards and all that other stuff. Um, I mean, the stories that came out of The Conjuring, um, you know, and Annabelle is, is, I guess, right up there in that, in that house, well, the the Warrens' place. I, I guess Ed is dead. I don't know if the other Lorraine is the other woman. Um, I don't know if she's. Yeah, I think she, they both are now. Yeah. Are they both dead now? So Annabelle sits somewhere there, like she's a real thing. <laughs> and I, all I know is there. I don't want to see her, but there's part of me that wants to see her, and I don't know why. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea why. Like, I won't even buy, like, there's a there's the NECA stuff. Nope. I, I just, I can't do it. I, I just, I, oof, I really can't. But anywho. So once again, Anthony, Nate, thank you. The title of the documentary is Unknown Dimension, The Story of Paranormal Activity, premiering October 29th on Paramount+. Plus. And it premieres the same day as the new Paranormal Activity movie, coming out next of kin next of kin Mm -hmm. next of kin um so again nate thank you it was a pleasure meeting you um tony old hat but i love (laughs) you you're not old and you're not a hat (laughs) um if you're out yeah 
Thank you for having us on. Yes. If you're out in uh, if you're out in LA um, and you can go to the Magic Castle, I highly encourage you to go see Tony. Um, and he is he's an awesome awesome magician. You can catch it if you go if you YouTube uh, Penn and Teller fool us. Anthony Massey, um, you're, you're going to be amazed at what he what he did. Um, Penn and Teller were were amazed. I believe his daughter was it his daughter that said that um, it was one of the best things she'd ever seen. Yeah, uh, close. <laughs> uh, yeah, Penn's kids uh, were in the audience that night and said that I was their favorite magician of the night. That's what it was. The greatest thing they had ever seen. Yeah, what the hell. <laughs> Oh, I've been it. trying to get Tony to tell me his secrets for years. He did sleight of hand, like when we first met. And I love magic. I love David Copperfield, which was another thing that brought Tony and I, you know, closer together. Um, he did this sleight of hand bullshit and it still pisses me off. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but again, thank you guys for coming on. Um, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. And um, we hope to have you. Well, uh, next week we have the Halloween Kills Roundtable. Um, Anthony is going to try to make it. I'm really hoping that Nate can make it as well. And we are going to be talking with um, a bunch of people that have been on the show before in different different aspects. And we're going to be talking about Halloween Kills because there are a lot of strong opinions about this movie. Um, you're you're looking at three people on your screen that actually really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, there are people that did not. Um, although I am seeing a, a tide starting to turn as people go and watch it more multiple times, which is great. I love it. Um, so that is coming next week. Uh, that will be released uh, right before Halloween. And I hope to see you guys there. Um, so good being back in the studio. Like I said, it's been way too long. I promise you it will not be this long again. Uh, it's been one crazy summer. And like I said before, not the film, which I wish it was. That would have been a lot more enjoyable. But um, as always, I am Rob. Love you guys. I will see you later. And I am out. Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs>